What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. What is good, fam, token fam? Hey, listen, it's your boy Sanchez. Thank you so much for listening, tuning in, subscribing. I hope that you guys are getting these notifications. We're about to ramp up our season. Uh, In the meantime, Cedric and I are taking a few weeks to prep and plan. Uh, We've been busy wrapping up the summer, getting ready for school, all all of that stuff you guys know about. So all that to say is we're excited about what's coming and we can't wait to share that with you. But in the meantime, we're going to kick it back to a few of our favorite episodes. Uh, we've taken some time to just go. We realized like we've, we've released a ton of content. And so some of the quality may vary because some of it we recorded during COVID. Some of it was pre-COVID. So you'll hear some old music. You'll hear all of those things. However, we just want you guys to have some content because we do feel like a lot of what we've said on this podcast is heavy, but necessary and needed. And maybe some of you are new to the podcast and you haven't had the opportunity to really see our journey progress. And maybe you've missed out on some of these key and good conversations we've had. So anyways, shout out to our Patreons. You guys make this podcast happen. You make it work. You allow us to continue to put out content, to continue to invite guests and, and, and keep this thing going. And if you're not a Patreon, please consider signing up on patreon.com. Also, social media. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. You have direct access to Cedric and myself, and we can't wait to engage with you. But in the meantime, enjoy this week's podcast. Corey, kick us off, man. Uh, All right. Like you said, we're, we're going to talk about, you know, being black, uh, black men um, in, in predominantly white spaces. And um, and again, I think we're going to dive deep into our tokenized experiences and stuff. So, uh, yeah, kick us off, man. What are some what are some questions people have been asking you or thoughts that people uh, want to know and hear? Because this oh. is a, this is a hot topic right now. There are a lot this of articles, extremely that, hot. a lot of articles coming out right now. This is extremely hot. And so more specifically, I guess um, we probably have all been bombarded by the barrage of folks and faces that look like us um, that are either a by design, the counter narrative of what it is that we speak about within our lived experiences um, yeah. that they will, they will drag out. And I, I, you know, so we, we liken this, and we've talked about this before on the token confessions, that it feels very menstrually, um, where we are, you know, traipsing out black and brown bodies to prove a point, um, even mm-hmm. though we do not live diversely, we do not live amongst others that way. Um, but for the sake of proving a point, we will gladly um, march out a black and brown body. Um, mm-hmm. that is saying something that we ourselves are not comfortable saying in the, in the main space. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so we see people 
of, of very great ilk, like Dr. Vodibakum. Or Oh, he's been, dude, it's crazy. I was thinking about him earlier. He has literally just appeared on my YouTube feed. Him and John MacArthur. Yes. Which is just oh, he's that dude. Oh, yes. Now, yeah, Doctor Balkum yeah. is an incredible scholar, and that's that's no joke. And I've yeah. actually met Doctor Balkum uh, when I used to work in an, another large Southern Baptist church here in our area. He was a guest regularly, as was the former um, SBC president, who was the first African American SBC president, Fred Luter Jr. Um, so we were in the same circles. Um, I as an employee of that organization. And when we would host conferences, of course, I was the music director at that large church. And so I would see these people pretty regularly. Now I'm not mm. offended that, you know, these people are being, are, are speaking out, but I, I do take issue with the way that people will truncate a message in its entirety, 54 minutes of the video that I've seen. And they will use the opening statement as their entire yeah. argument. And I'm yeah, yeah. a pretty thorough individual. So when I see a video and somebody sends it to me, if I have time and or interest, I will listen to the entire video. And I did so with Dr. Balkum's video. I listened to all 50. Which, which one? Because there, there, the, there are a couple. So the first one that I was sent was the one where he opened up in the very, very beginning. And he dismissed all other books that were being written on critical race theory and um, he, okay. he dismissed Dr. Tisby's book. He dismissed um, other books that were speaking about what it is to lived experience as a black person in America. And he said the scripture is sufficient. Of that, I don't disagree with. Scripture is absolutely sufficient. I believe in the sufficiency of the sufficiency of God's word, um, which is the entire basis of our ministries. All of our ministries are offered the bedrock and foundation of scripture, sola scriptura, scripture alone. There is nothing else there. However, there is something that I think has been missing from the dialogue is that we have had the canon of scripture for 2000 years and we still have not lived in a way that is God honoring when it comes to race and cultural reconciliation. So having had right. the canon of scripture um, and then now, of course, we got works by Dr. D'Angelo, Dr. Tisby, uh, Ibram X. Kendi and others that have spent time developing um, language to an issue that has been present, not only in society, but also in right. the church. And so when we, the, the statement was, and I agree with Dr. Balkum, is that we do not need to develop a new hermeneutic, right? And I agree that there needs to be nothing added to the word of God for the, the correction of the ills in our society. My contention is that, once you make that statement, you then must be willing to live out the thing that you just agreed to. And right. that is largely what I do not see coming forth largely from evangelical spaces that I have been a part of uh, over my past 20 plus years of ministry service. Um, so while I agree with that statement that scripture is sufficient, I will not say that there has been sufficient discipleship to that end to then lead the body in that way. Yeah. Mm. I, so he dismisses Jamar Tisby's color of compromise. In addition to how to be anti-racist by Ibram X. Kendi. On, on yeah. what grounds? That scripture is sufficient, which I agree. 
scripture is sufficient uh, and that we do not need sociologists or others to develop a new hermeneutic uh, for us to deal with these issues. Now, like see, I said, I I yeah, see, that's where I, I, don't think I, I, I don't think they're trying to develop a new hermeneutic at all. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like they're arguing a non-issue. They're, they're, they're making a case. He's making a case over something that none of those people are arguing but I guess my my thought, and I, I obviously haven't watched the video, is I think this is actually the mistake that Christians and the arrogance that Christians make yeah. oftentimes. And I would say it's actually, I'll, I'll go ahead and say it, not just not to play devil's advocate, and I'm kind of thinking through it as I say it, so I'm, I'm willing to have holes poked at it, but I don't think scriptures is sufficient. Because I don't think the whole counsel of God is scripture alone. I think the, the, the counsel of God also includes the Holy Spirit. And when we look at the faith tradition, it's like a tricycle. It's both the scripture, the Holy Spirit, and we have church tradition. And unfortunately, law, uh, minus the Holy Spirit, two of those things have been thoroughly infiltrated by the ideology of white supremacy. So to use his words, we have this hermeneutic, hermeneutic of interpreting scripture and tradition that uh, we are completely blind to. Um, so, yeah, that's that's where I would at least start my case that I'm like literally thinking through in the first five minutes of this conversation. Okay, so so po yeah. poke away. <laughs> well, I won't, I won't poke a hole at it. I will add that his critique was that others are developing or better yet, I'll say it this way, that others are using those things outside of scripture to then develop a basis by which we should always have been doing these things. Right. So I can't look at acts mm. to Hebrews uh, and not see uh, cultural and racial reconciliation. It's literally the majority of what Paul talks about. Um, like overwhelmingly, Paul was not speaking to people that lived amongst each other and were from the same culture about how right. to live and do life. He was mm -hmm. speaking to a new type of fellowship that was counter to the culture uh, in which they found themselves, whether it was right. in Corinth or Thessalonica or Galatia or Ephesus or anywhere that new churches were popping up, whether in Rome or in Greece, and you begin to see people live, love, and do life together that were different. And so he was contending with the basically the identity that we each bear uh, and contending with them to then live diversely and to live and a Christ honoring. See, okay. Let me, let me, let me, let me interject something. Good. Because I, 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 I was sent three videos. Mm -hmm. uh, one was on social justice. One was on why I left the, the the black church, and one was on something else. So, so my problem is that 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 his stances that he's taking so far, and what I've seen, is rooted in patriarchy and elitism. Um, and, and he leaves the black church for uh, the reason of I don't want to be the I don't want to be in a dominant culture. I feel like I'm called to be against the culture. But but on the flip side, bro, your denomination and your culture isn't diverse either after how many years. And so have you mixed what you hope for in being in a multicultural, multi-ethnic uh, environment with just uh, subscribing to uh, this elite um, 
patriarchal evangelical system because you have been um, elevated and you have been given this platform and therefore you are going to exemplify what a black man in America should be like and what a scholar, a true scholar looks like. Because that, that's, again, I, I, I want to do my research. And again, I'm like you, I just didn't have the time today to really dissect it. But, but again, like from what I've seen, um, not just presently, but I'm trying to recall memories you know, five, six, seven years ago when I would have agreed with him. Um, you know, and again, that's a part of that tokenized experience. But but again, this doesn't necessarily nece- um, necessitate or it should not be his stances are for me cop outs. They're, they're not sufficient enough because, again, you're making claims about these books and these authors saying that they're trying to reframe our hermeneutic and, and our view. When for me, they're just um, magnifying the issues of what the church has not done. Yeah. And calling Indeed. the church for what it is. Indeed. And that's not unlike any other topic, whether it's been self-help books or spiritual practice or some type of other orthopraxy that we have had Christian authors write about and expose a truth that's always been in God's word. So I disagree with the idea that um, these books are not helpful, and but I yeah. do not also disagree that um, I would be or others would be creating a new hermeneutic. I believe it's similar to anything else that's been given by the yeah. inspiration of the Holy Spirit, where people have been able to take truth and extrapolate yeah. it in a way that right. is palatable for the reader. And so yeah. I don't, you know what I'm saying? So, yeah. So here's a question for him. <laughs> and and, and I, again, you know, poke, poke hole for me. So, so, so what hermeneutic is he suggesting that is fixing the issues that we have right now? Because clearly his his hermeneutic isn't working. He's well, been preaching. Dude's got gray hair. Well, he's I wouldn't. Been, I, <laughs> I honestly, I think what it is, and this is the big rub, and I, I I think we all recognize it, and we don't speak about it much. I firmly believe that it's the the hermeneutic of sacred and secular, right? Oh, there. Come on, that's a myth, bro. We all well, know church well, history. Well, well, hold on, hold on. This is this is what I mean by that. Looking at secular solutions for a sacred problem. And that is like, I would rest my hat firmly on that, that yeah. outside of the church, I honestly don't believe that any substantive change would really come um, like systems okay. and programs and things of that nature. Come Go on. ahead. Go ahead. Consider, your, consi- consider your worships, consider your lights, your LEDs, consider the guitars leading worship, the, 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 the LEDs. Well, I wouldn't say that that's the church. But, but right. The, the, so to the point, like this is how it has impacted and influenced and shaped how church is now, done. Now, orthopraxy, I absolutely agree with that. I believe that the church has been co-opted, hijacked. In, multi- in a multitude of ways uh, to where our culture within Christendom very much mirrors American popular culture. I wouldn't, I wouldn't disagree with that. But I also would say yeah. that our solution to problems that persist within the church and outside of it are, cannot necessarily be remedied by a system that is antithetical to the gospel. And I think that is what he is saying in some way, but I would, I would not, I would not rest on that too long because I, I, I actually personally don't disagree with that part of his statement. See, I think history disagrees with him. 
And I think that's maybe why he's going mm. after a book like Color Compromise and Stamp from the Beginning. They're not preaching a new hermeneutic. They're, they're giving a different history or not even so much a distant his, different history. They're shining a light on the blind spots of history that we've we've forgotten. And that so, people he's associated in cahoots right, with. Right, right. So because, it, it, I mean, affects, the, it affects his crew. It affects yeah, his the, people, right? Right. The whole first, the whole first part of... Um, Stand from the beginning is is focused on Cotton Mather and the Puritans, Pur- Puritans, um, and this is the part that I think Christians fail to forget. It was the church, it was the church that brought us this unique white supremacy ideology, or I shouldn't say brought it, but they were one of the first ones to jump on board. Um, I mean, I, I recite it all the time, but the Papal Bull Statement of fourteen fifty two gave express permission to the monarchs of, um, of, of Spain and Portugal to basically go raid the world and take any part of it that wasn't already Christian and claim it for the church. So I think in this unique way, excuse me, I don't think the institutional church, because that's what I'm, I'm hearing, I don't think the institutional church is the answer because I think they've been compromised. And moreover, I look at some of the stories in scripture that would actually point us to Jesus um, and the Holy Spirit, oftentimes working outside the boundaries of the institution. And that's um, one of the big takeaways I've gotten recently at looking at the story of the good Samaritan. It was the Samaritan, the one who existed outside of the establishment, who actually did the right thing. And by implication of the lawyer's question was the only one between the priest and the Levite that was going to receive eternal life. And so, yeah, I, I, I look at it from the aspect of, oh, I think we lost him. Uh, he froze. He's coming back. Keep oh. going. Keep going, though. Okay, we'll get him back. Um. So yeah, I um. I, I I'm look at. Get, it, I'm trying to get. I'm trying to get Ray on too. <laughs> right. I look at it from the standpoint of you have these stories, right, where um, the Holy Spirit is not confined to our boundaries and our little boxes of what the church is, and thus Christ right. isn't. So we get the story of Jonah. Jonah, who's sent to go evangelize the Ninevites, he don't want to do it because they're his sworn enemies. That's a different tribe. He doesn't like that tribe. That tribe is inferior to his tribe of the Israelites. But after, you know, the catastrophe hits, he reluctantly goes because going there and delivering the message is better than death. He preaches the gospel, probably reluctantly. And guess what happens? Everybody repents. Everybody receives his message. And then he's pissed. He's so pissed because he's like, I knew, I knew you are a loving and compassionate and merciful God. I knew this would happen. In other words, God, you're operating outside my predefined boxes of how this is supposed to work. And he's so ticked, he sits under a fig tree. And here's the irony, right? He sits under a fig tree for shade and the heat. And God curses the fig tree 
And that's when Jonah gets really ticked off. He's more upset about the fig tree being cursed and dying and withering in the heat than he was about the hundreds of thousands of people in Nineveh who would have perished, which is not all unlike so many Christians fretting about burn down, destroy property. Thanks. <laughs> right? Thanks. As Thanks. opposed to the Ninevites. But, I mean, we get these stories again and again where it shows that God, look, if his people or the ones that are claiming to call him and organized around him don't respond, God is big enough to work outside of our man-made institutions. And history yeah. has shown time and time again that the church, when it comes specifically to white supremacy and racism, is like absolutely compromised or has too often compromised. And therefore, like God is so often used um, the, the, the people on the religious or Christian margins, oftentimes the most, quote, liberal churches. Um, and God has even used uh, non-Christians. I mean, again, I mean, we've talked about this before, and then I'll, I'll shut up and give other people a chance to talk. And I have a lot of Christian friends who have been very supportive of everything that we're doing. But unequivocally, all of the people I get regular resistance from are church people. Mm. Yeah. All right. So let's pause. Yeah, I, <laughs> Corey, I got kicked out. <laughs> my my computer kicked me out. I'm back now. I have something I want to add to uh, Cedric. I was listening on my phone and my, my wife has it over there. And then I'm like, oh, that's so good. I want to jump in right there. But there was something you said at the very, very end that I want. And I don't disagree with the, the fact that um, God will always and always has raised up a witness. So like me and uh, Sanchez, we've talked about Tom Skinner. Both of us love Tom, Tom Skinner's work. Um, and he said in 1970, you know, that the evangelical church took issue with voices like um, like Malcolm X and others. Um, mm -hmm. And it wasn't because of necessarily what he was saying. It was that he was easy to be dismissed because he wasn't from the church. And this is why King was such a force to be reckoned with, is that he was one of our own. Uh, he was an evangelical brother from the church mm -hmm. saying virtually the same thing that that X was saying, like folks will will, will remember hi that history differently, depending on which vantage point they stand from. But truthfully, we had two folks in brown skin saying the exact same thing. One was about self-defense and self-promotion, uh, self-preservation. And the other was about nonviolent protest and equality. Let Don't get it okay. twisted. Both of them at the very end of their their lives were talking about economic uh justice and exact same thing but it was easy to dismiss x because he was not from the church it was not so easy to dismiss king because he was from the church but but skinner says and i agree that god will never be without a witness and yeah. so whether that witness is from the sacred or the secular is irrespective uh but i think what should be and it has to be considered is that the method by which that true substantive change will come has always been purposed to be to come through the vehicle of the church. And that's what's concerning when there are other things that may hijack the message. I mean, we can talk about that 
in its entirety all night about things that have been hijacked and co-opted and all that stuff. So Sanchez, go ahead. Bro. Wait, wait. I, I just want to add, I, I agree with what you said about Malcolm X and Martin Luther King. I just want to add one thing. And I think it's actually a bigger reason why Malcolm really wasn't a problem or the force to be reckoned with is Martin, Mark, Malcolm X wasn't about civil disobedience and uh, protest. He wasn't in the streets. He only marched once. And it was to get one of the brothers out of police custody who had been beaten by the police and take him to the hospital. Otherwise, Malcolm very much wasn't an issue because his solution was we need to keep to ourselves because mm-hmm. he was preaching a message of white men is the devil, which is exactly what white supremacy wanted. It didn't care that it was being preached as a quote, black nationalism. It had the desired outcome, which was separation. And Martin was a problem because he persisted in the coming together mm-hmm. and his protest led him to be arrested 29 times. And that's what trips me out about people, you know, complaining about disruptive protests today. That's not how Martin do it. Did it? It's like, okay. Intellectually honest. Right. Well, but it's, it's, it's again, it's a blind spot. Cause how many of us know that he was arrested 29 times, shot twice in the third, second time they killed him. Right. We, we know that. But a lot of people don't know that. And they don't know that Malcolm X was arrested zero times in his public career. It's because he wasn't a threat. Martin Luther King, even though his message was love in Christ and Jesus, he was a threat to their establishment because they wanted to love from a distance. There's a biblical parallel there. And uh, I know Sanchez wants to get this in, but, but I do. <laughs> so, so, when you, so remember uh, when Pilate released Barabbas? Right. Um, so ironically enough, Barabbas's first name was Jesus also. And the the the, the kicker was this, is that um, Barabbas was um, exactly what folks would have assumed was like an ex. You know, he was not tearing down systems. He was not going against uh, things that were ingrained in the hearts of men. He was going for uh, tangibles, things he could physically feel you know neighborhood economic commodity and things of that nature and so jesus um the reason jesus was a huge threat was that he was a threat to the systems that were deeply embedded in the hearts of men and uh i'll never forget when skinner said that it's like the the air in the room that i was sitting in evaporated because that's exactly uh against the spirit of antichrist right when you are attacking things that grip the heart of man uh the enemy takes issue with that and man bro yeah i'm I'm gonna get up that's a whole nother conversation for another day sanchez listen i I just got a few things i want to highlight about dr bachem number one (laughs) bro man don't even live in america bro man lives in zambia not to disqualify him but bro man lives in zambia uh number two I ain't trying to mess with him because apparently he's got like a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. So yeah, we better be careful. Or he's going to come after it. <laughs> but, but again, I think to, to, to the issue I take is the fact that um, it, it's a form, it's a form of sellout. It's a form of sellout. It's a form of cop out. It's a form of really, really keeping this elitist 
um, white supremacist, white supremacy driven mindset that keeps people bound and oppressed by denouncing things like social. Can we justice. press in right there a little bit? Oh, Ray, that's why Ray's here. <laughs> oh, man. I, I had to I had to let Ray in. Let bishop Bishop McKinnon was good, brethren. Yeah, definitely not a bishop. Um, yeah, yo, I know you are. Yo, I, I, I just um, I came in at probably the worst time. Like, so I, I heard <laughs> your comments out of context. I, I just like tuned in. I was like, what am I hearing? What is Corey talking about? Um, so, I, you know, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't have the context. But, you know, when I think about. When I think about this, this, the rhythm of, of faith, the rhythm of connecting the already and the not yet, like it's this, it's this, this, I think it's part of the work. It's part of our liturgy, man. Like it's part of the stuff we're called to do is, is making those connections. And if we, I believe, if we begin from a starting place that the only the only worthwhile thing, which is how I heard what you said, if the only worthwhile thing is the sacred and there's no space for the secular to inform thing, I don't know if, how, I don't know where that leaves us. I don't know what it looks like then when the ordinary meets the extraordinary, when oh, the ordinary meets the, you know, so, meets the. Yeah. Um, so in context, I, I know exactly. So I know exactly what you're talking about. So in context, what I was, what I was standing, what I would definitely stand by, and a, a hill that I would die on is not that it can't inform it. Um, I know that's a bold statement, right? I saw your eyes. You the, did. I did. I, I mean, so, <laughs> so, so truthfully, you know, I mean, so I don't think anything substantive can come from outside. And the reason I say that is not that it can't inform it, and not that it can't be privy or party to, but I firmly believe that the problem was never the world's to fix. I always think that it was it was the it was the church's problem to fix using the vehicle of the church to fix. And the reason I say that is that the world does not have a dedicated leader dedicated to peace. And so the church has a leader that has lived and died and that was dedicated to peace. So if we who are who call ourselves part of the brethren, the fellowship, if we are looking to solutions outside of the, the the gospel under outside of the lens of the gospel outside of as you mentioned earlier the liturgy that we're all working through i think we're going to come up with incomplete solutions that are not founded on this thing that actually can make substantive change to that end i don't know how a system that was not designed with reconciliation in mind can actually affect that thing that goal that way so like so the, the the point that i got to from that was that people have been railing at not only black lives matter and the movement and they're calling all manner of words that they had to go and google like marxist and leninist and phrases that they haven't looked at since 10th grade civics class and so when i when i hear people making those critiques I'm actually not offended because I'm looking at a system that was put into place to fix a problem that was never theirs. It was always the church's problem to fix. It was always the church's, but the church net, we, 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 we slept on the job. We abdicated our authority and we got married to systems that were antithetical to the gospel. And so if we get married to systems that are antithetical to the gospel, we cannot be upset when the child of that marriage is incomplete. And so, and that's exactly what I see in the world. See, I, I guess for me, and this is, and this is probably where, 
one of the other one of the areas where we'll, we'll where we'll disagree is to the degree that it is the the church's job to repair this is because it's responsible for it. It's because Absolutely. it created it, right? Like so, so so when I hear some of the stuff I hear, it's almost like uh, the reason the church is kind of the vehicle for repairing this problem is because it's most equipped. I think it it must be part of uh, repairing because it is the one who damage is the one who caused the rip and it perpetuates especially in a westernized evangelical view and understanding of the church and of god like i agree with that i I mean it perpetuates i i I believe the evangelical church has done more damage not just to black folks but has done more damage to our society than a lot of things because it's centering on whiteness i had this whole conversation yesterday with this pastor who literally said in his comment, well, where in the Bible does it say that um, uh, that oppression is bad or that we shouldn't, that people shouldn't be oppressed? And this brother was serious. And it's that understanding, like, because he was, we were talking about the Black Lives Matters movement. We were talking about police brutality. He kind of shifted it and said that we, it was a similar argument. Like, you know, we've shifted it. We've made the gospel be more than it is. And the gospel really doesn't speak. He didn't, I'm, I'm taking his words out of context. He didn't say this verbatim, uh, but he, it was, it was essentially that. So anyway, um, I'm talking I think we agree. Much. I think we agree more than we disagree because I, I don't disagree with what you just said in the least. And so the church is responsible, similar to the South having always been held as the Bible Belt and the center for morality for our country. And if that's true, then the South has a great responsibility to repair its reputation with its not only upholding of segregational systems and white supremacy and things of that nature, but if the church, if the South is going to tout that uh, moniker of being the moral center for our country, then there's lots of work that needs to be done to actually you know, bring healing to that. So I don't disagree that the evangelical church has been wholly complicit and uh, extremely damaging in that. But I do still rest on the fact that the church not only is best equipped, I think it was always our destiny to do so. You still uh, go down that hill? See, I, 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 I think I, I will agree with you in this. I think the church is best equipped, but one, and this is where you and I will probably like just have to agree to disagree. I don't believe in the secular sacred divide. I believe everything is sacred. The whole earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Absolutely, and I, I think the secular sacred divide is a construct that the church has primarily created to basically say we are inherently superior to the rest of the world. Well, not so to go no down mystery that mystery that it would also be but def- compromised I would define, by. Mm-hmm. I think it's wise to define these things because if like, I don't disagree with what you just said, but I think uh-huh. the meaning of what I said earlier has been missed by the fact that we do know that there are systems that are secular that are still antithetical to the gospel. And I can't call those systems that are antithetical sacred. To that end, um, if a system has been put in place to fix a problem, I don't believe that outside of the sacred setting, I don't think it would be as effective as a sacred solution. And so those are big words, right? So we'll just use the terms that, that uh, 
that uh, Ray and I were talking about in terms of Black Lives Matter. The critique is that it's Marxist, right? So if Marxism is antithetical to the gospel and a system has been created with those tenets to try to fix a problem that the church is that the church was always responsible in fixing, I'm not upset that this Tom Skinner witness uh you're coming forth to, to redeem and repair the image of God and others is, has been started. I'm not upset that it was started because the church was absent. And so that's a, that's a secular system that was trying to fix a problem that the sacred was responsible in, in, in doing. Does that make sense? So like, so I think it's important that we define those terms so that, so that the listener doesn't get it hijacked and co-opted Sanchez. You're muted. You're bro. muted. Sorry about that. Uh, my thing is, again, I, I'm not necessarily here to disagree, but I think my problem is like people have a problem with Marxism as if capitalism is God's predestined and chosen oh, I don't way disagree. of doing things. Exactly. Right. No, I, I know you know. I know exactly. you know. I know you know. But but again, like who who said and who and, and again now we get into white supremacy. Who gets to determine what is sacred and who de who's defining exactly this? who's defining what's secular and sacred, right? Like, and, and then so, so for me, this is how we get in this conundrum. And I don't believe the church is equipped. I believe the church has the tools, but they are letting the tools collect dust in the tool shed. <laughs> because we are afraid to use these tools because it might require us to do some working on ourselves. Well, that's why we're still having these conversations in 2020 is that the work Precisely. has not been done. So what I say, like, I don't think we disagree guys. I think, I think Oh, I know, maybe, I know, I know we don't. This is this great perspective that yeah. we get to go around in. Yeah. And I think, I think one thing that if, if we can't like, I don't know how the gospel could ever be anti. I mean, how a, um, an economic system, can ever be antithetical to the gospel, right? So this idea that to say Marxism could be antithetical to the gospel, which I don't think it necessarily is. I, I don't disagree. It's like, so it's like, you know, it's ridiculous. Like there's, I believe, I definitely don't believe the gospel is most represented from a capitalistic lens. Now that doesn't mean I don't believe that capitalism is the, the economic system that most, if most, um, that most recognizes our state, our depraved that is state, inherently if you will, corrupted. Right? Exactly. Like I think it's the system that recognizes that people are will always grab power, and so it it at least is honest with itself. I don't believe it's the system, right? I I believe capitalism is evil, and I don't believe that it is. Um, I don't believe it's it's the highest and the best. I don't believe it's the system. If we were setting up. A, a system where justice and the least among us are centered, it certainly wouldn't look like a capitalist system. Well, I think, I think what you just articulated is exactly the issue that most people will take with um, these statements. For those people that really stop and think and hear the words that somebody says, it's like, well, hold on, guys. How does an economic system play into this thing. And so we have been, we have been uh, systematically programmed to hear certain things and to rebuff. So my in-laws and my parents, they were reared during the time of the Red Scare in the era of McCarthyism, right? So these were the, the kids that practiced um, like, like nuclear weapon drills in their classrooms and they would understand these words to be bad and they instantly rebuffed them, not without um, not with understanding, but they they rebuffed the words in order. Socialism, 
communism. And so does it didn't matter how it was presented. We just knew via indoctrination that those things were bad. And so now we hear of a system uh, or a solution, Black Lives Matter, the movement, the phrase or the organization. And we attach this word to it that then discredits it. People don't even think to go into to look up the things that they disagree with, but they hear something and then they attach that to it. And then that just shuts down the entire thing. And then you are spent. You, you, you actually end up spending more time deflecting something that has nothing to do with the reason that this group exists or that the phrase exists. And you actually have to spend more time refu refuting this entirely other thing. Uh, Ray, yeah. you mute. Yeah, but I think that's the whole point of it. That's the whole yeah, point yeah. of them bringing up Marxism. They couldn't care right. less. The whole point is to get us off for this, right? Off so time, we're, yeah. we're spending all this time. That's the whole point and purpose of talking about Marxism. People don't care or even know, to your point, uh, what Marxism is. It's to get us to not focus on the main thing, and that's white supremacy, run amok, and uh, the fact that we're not, we're not centering and honoring black and brown bodies yeah. and lives, right? right. That's it, right. and that's the whole point. Because so, a lot but, of these folks don't even recognize that white supremacy is an ideology. Right, Just like right. no. they're claiming that communism and Marxism is an ideology. And so then yeah. I have people who tell me, like, yeah. honestly... Well, I just, yeah. I just, yeah, it's an ideology, but I just think Marxism is worse. And I'm just like, yeah. uh, you don't, you know, you know you nothing not, about it. But. Like, let's get the receipts. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the, the issue is, you know, white supremacy is like breathing breath, like your next breath. Right. For a mm -hmm. lot of people. And, and on the, on the, on the flip side, like how many people called Dr. King a communist? A Marxist. <laughs> he was a called Marxist. a Marxist. Right, so, By so, Falwell Sr. Exactly. Right, right. So, <laughs> oh, I wasn't even uh, going to talk about the moral majority tonight, but since you yeah, went there. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I do think, well, first of all, David Park, thank you for handling the, the conversation in the comments because I think we're on a train that we, we need to focus on. But I do think we need to, to, to Corey's point, address that. And I think we need to, this opens us up to talk about Black Lives Matter, which is what we were going to talk about on Token. Um, coming up because this is a this is a hot topic within um, evangelicalism and within the world. So I'm open. Well, we well we find ourselves in these spaces. It's like Ray, you pastor a church, so you are different than the, uh, well. I guess you know Sanchez, you are you know you know co-pastor of a church, but um, I know Cedric and I we are not in high positions of leadership authority. Cedric gets too. Cedric. Cedric gets too. Well, I'm a, I'm a I'm a teaching pastor. I'll be. Oh, so it's just me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just, it's just me. Okay. So well, you we all these well, preachers, bro. That's good. I'm correct. Well, it's like, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I'm just not in, in any form of leadership capacity in that regard, you know? Yeah. So, you, you know, but I find myself and have found myself for, for the better part of 20 years, uh, serving in spaces where I am very much largely in the minority. Uh, whether we all understand that life, right? Right. <laughs> so, so that's something that through our lived experience, we all share. And so in this season, which is what led us to the entire conversation about Dr. Balkum and others that have been uh, traipsed out as tokens to uh, present the counter narrative. This is not a new thing for any of us. This is not a new conversation. And I really want to focus in on some of the things that we have been hearing and uh, having conversations about 
through this season because truthfully, I know most of us, we all kind of got our start. I know Sanchez and Cedric for sure. Um, post Trayvon Martin, where the conversations were at the center again, where we're now, what, 10 years removed from that. And here we are in 2020 and we are in the midst of a summer, not unlike the summer of 2016, where we had Philando Castile, Alton Sterling, the Dallas police officers and the entire summer. Keith Lamont Scott. Keith Lamont Scott. Oh, my gosh. Bro. And now we're talking about Brianna Taylor. Ahmad Arbery, right? George Floyd and others. And the list keeps on ticking. And then all the stuff that we see in the mainstream. So the conversations that have been coming my way, not only directed around um, helping people see things that they may have not seen before, um, but since there are very few of us in leadership positions, the conversations are many. And so I, I, I kind of want to make some some warnings to our pastoral friends that um, do not share our skin shade. Um, and then, of course, some admonition for those same folks as to how we lead our congregations that bear many of us in the in the seats. So I kind of want to sit there for a minute. Want to unpack it just a little. Just a little. I, I guess my, my big concern is that once the, the new cycle ends and once we kind of get back to some semblance of normal, uh, we don't just pack our brown, black and brown brothers away until the next issue. Um, our, convert, our voices, which is the, the nature of my podcast, The Black Sheep Dialogues, um, our voices are not always present until there's an issue. And um, I see a lot of my pastor friends all across the country clamoring for someone to come and speak to their people uh, in terms of discipleship and living out this diverse life and bringing another perspective from a face that's not the, the face of the leader. And it feels great. And that acknowledgement feels cool. But once the dust settles, I don't want that to go back to the normal um, status quo day in and day out. And so um, I know that is the nature of being tokenized is that something pops up and we drag out, we drag out the body. 15 minutes of fame. 15 minutes of fame. And, you know, something else pops up. Find the other token. And uh, yeah, so I'm 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 leery because that is very tiring. Um, I have right. more conversations around these issues, and then the dust settles, and then my inbox is full again. Um, well, sorry. Well, think of, think good. about so the cycle. Think, think about think about the cycle of of black leaders being a cycle for for white evangelicals. Now it's Vody Bauckham, right? Like a couple of years ago, it was Brian Leritz, right? And then they realized Brian was more woke than they realized. And then you keep going Lecrae and all of these people, and then you keep going on a the list. There, there's this history of trying to utilize and capitalize on black figures until, until they, they hit their threshold and, and there's some tension there. And so, so for me, that's where I have an issue. And I think this conversation is going to uh, stay here for a bit because I think there are a lot more black leaders finally realizing that they are nothing but a pawn and they're being used for their skin color. And, and a lot of them are actually, happen this and, time. And, and something, right. a lot of people are saying no. And, and, and what are saying and, no. And I, and I think even beyond recognize the weird person being used, it's the reality that 
we're being used not just for our skin color, but as cover for their bigotry, for, as cover for their, because if they can yeah. point to, you know, if they can point to one of these. Their black friend. You know, yeah, exactly. And say, well, it's not me. They, well, Candace Owens said this. This isn't me. Or I'm going to share yeah. this, this meme from the, the black sheriff who says, right. you know, the problem is we need to just learn to be. That's the thing. They, they, they do that. And, and I don't think it's I think this is something different, too. Uh, and I think it's because, honestly, there are enough, you know, there there are non-white folks in these evangelical spaces that might be predominantly white-led that are saying, you know what? No, nah, we're not taking this anymore. We're not just yeah. leaving either. We're not going to leave. We're not going to leave. We're going to stay yeah. here and demand that you see us, and we're not yeah. going to just go along to get along. You yeah. got to push yeah, us right. out of here. I think there's a, a critical mass. Sorry, Sanchez. I'll just say this. You go. You go, you go. And you go. I think the other difference this time is that there is a growing mass of deemed white people who are also tired of it, who yep. see through the facade and aren't going to let them get away with it, or they're going to take their capital somewhere else. Yeah, but I, I want to go back to something Ray said that's very important that we have to understand it, and this is what white supremacy does, right? It's kind of like when somebody puts you out there and then they pull the rug out from un under you. So, so when 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 black people, intelligent black people, confront these white people who are quoting Candace Owens and all of these gaslighters, and then they say, "Well, these aren't my words; this, these are their words," right? Mm -hmm. So, so watch for the moment and wait for the moment for these gaslighters to be exposed. Candace Owens, I don't believe in racism. She got 40 grand for suing somebody because of a racist incident. Thanks right? to so the NAACP. <laughs> Thanks Wait a the minute. It wasn't, right. it wasn't 40 grand. It was I'm 37 sorry. and a half. 37 and a half thousand. <laughs> Excuse me. Roughly 37 and a half thousand dollars. <laughs> right. So, so these people are going to, and, and again, like, like we have to start paying attention, but, but to, to the, I think the thing I'm trying to say is this conversation is not going anywhere. Thus the centeredness around black lives matters right now. Like if we can take the, 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 um, if we could take the heart from, from this movement by convincing black Christians that it's Marxist and it's anti anti antithetical anti to the gospel, right. Then, then they will come and see the right. light, and they will see the true gospel, right. and they will denounce that. And that's not that, right. that's not happening, right? But you well, know what? Yeah, right? They're trying to take the head off the snake, but they don't realize that the Black Lives Matter organization is not the head of the snake, right? Well, well you, and this so it's like the the thing that drives me a little insane is they never keep the same energy for confronting what really is anathema to the gospel in this in this moment and that's white supremacy they do not they i mean it literally is like they're straining out gnats you know it's like bro like are you are you why don't you focus on yourself they always want to you know pivot to us and black on black crown i'm like how about you focus on yourself and and realize that what's happening right now is the is like undoing these systems is the work it is a part of the gospel and what they've been able to do i believe in evangelicalism especially well i'm gonna say evangelicalism writ large is they've been able to make the gospel they've been able to separate the gospel from justice and separate the gospel from and, and you know I'm, I'm united methodist and so there's this reality for us that the gospel, the work, this 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 social justice um, cause is the gospel. It is part of it. It is you. It, you can't separate it. So to not push back against those oppressing others, you're not 
you're not living into and out the gospel and that they've right. been able to they've been able to bifurcate the the gospel as they understand it from i believe what's truly a biblical understanding of of the gospel of the work it's, uh, it's it, right. you can't do it's not just about yeah. going on the corner and telling people, you know, doing the, you know, the four spiritual laws, getting everything out from Bill Bright. You know, if you were to die tonight, that's not, that's, if that's all it is, it's, it's, it's anemic. Yeah. It's, and it's, and it's, a, and it's, it's an imitation. Yeah. Now, can I, can I invite us into a deeper conversation? Because I mean, yes. we've got some stuff going on right now on the comments, but, but, um, let's I can't talk see about, the comments. Like, I can't see the talk comments. About, let's know. talk about the support of the black lives matter organization and because i've been wrestling with and i posted something uh i think it was last week about the differences between the organization the movement and the the literal words and, and the phrase yeah and the phrase and and and, and i got likes you know but there, there weren't many people questioning it but why is it so hard for people to get down with the organization and they want to whitewash the movement at the same time why are people because I have my theory and, and maybe I should start with that, right? So ask the like, question again. Ask the question again. Why are why why are people afraid to support the movement Black Lives Matter? I I don't believe one, I think a lot of people are not and do you, being do you do you have to fully support and affirm everything to support an organization? Absolutely. Let me add that in addition. I don't think you do. I I think people you clearly again, don't with Trump. Right. That's uh, exactly it. That so this is the perfect, <laughs> yo, yo, that is perfect, Cedric. That's the perfect, because point. it that's has nothing point. to do, that's it. They have demonstrated that they have the ability to to not have to agree with everything, right? And so it's not about the, it, they really, they know to embrace what it is about the Black Lives Matter, what are, this movement, it means they're going to have to change some way they're thinking. Because for them, every to to embrace any of this equals i hate cops because that's what they've done in their minds they've they've made the move about all right if you if you believe in the black lives matters movement and you're you're trying to be anti-racist equals you hate cops and it's not the case and so it, it, they'll have to they'll have to come under all these ridiculous uh straw men arguments and fallacies that they've they've erected and so they can't it's the same reason why they stick with trump it's like well we came i gotta stick with what i know I hate yeah. the guy. I don't agree with him, but you know, well, I've come this right. far by faith. But 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 this is how white supremacy works, right? I get a pass for liking this guy, but you don't. I get <laughs> right. to play by a set of rules, but you, you don't get to play. We got a right. different set of rules for you. We got a different set of rules for you and your kind, right? Boy. That's the that's the hypocrisy. And again, Cedric, thank you so much for taking us there. But it is the, it is the hypocrisy that I'm seeing within a lot of things, like. We have to agree with everything that is said, and we have to affirm everything that is said. And, and uh, but but I get a pass with Trump and Falwell. But can, but can we address and, that Cedric just straight dropped that into the atmosphere while eating popcorn? Is that popcorn like, or ice cream? I almost popcorn, knew it ice cream. Was cream. Ice cream. When, yeah. when you, so, when I was like, "Yo, you want me to the, tell hey, you?" That's what I was going to say. My wife is coming through clutch. Yo, but see, but see that, I got see, you, boo. Well, I, I think <laughs> the problem is and. All three of us, well, three of you have hit it. And I think this is where it's tricky. And Sanchez, you asked the question, can we uh, uh, support something that we don't wholeheartedly agree? And I think around the world and across the table, the answer is an overwhelming and resounding. Yeah. And I think, like you said, I think that's kind of a no dub, but 
for some reason, when it comes to us, we always have to repudiate so much stuff in order to be at the table. So anytime uh, somebody draws issue to something, there has to be a repudiation of this. Let's take it back to the Obama era, right? So Obama came out, well, what about his pastor? His pastor said this. And remember that whole conversation? Oh, yeah. And yeah, which it, was completely out of context. It didn't context, watch the whole video. But it, did, but it didn't But matter. he's also being vindicated right now, that pastor was, but I'm just going to oh, leave that sure. alone. So we had to come out and repudiate that before we could justify our support or X, Y, or Z. But in... Uh, but conversely, that is not the standard by which others have to live. So um, I was not going to mention what Cedric mentioned, um, that uh, I, I typically stay away from all things politics. Uh, just be, well, just, just me too. Because, me too. Hey, because, if we were like, staying away from all things politics, we wouldn't be talking about this. Let's keep I it disagree. I, I disagree. <laughs> I think you're talking partis, part, politics partisanship. and partisanship partisan are two totally different things. I agree right. That. Which so, I'm not I, even talking about partisanship when I make exactly. that statement. See, the, the reason I'm just I stay giving away from those example. things is okay. largely because, uh, which I think you, you, you know, I mean, it's just a dang powder keg of an issue. Once you mention this, people shut you off and they stop listening and everybody silos up and they go to their respective corners and then they take sides. And so it's almost like you've 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 tapped the sacred cow and you can't tap the sacred cow because when you make me uncomfortable, I no longer listen. And that's how we see it in our society. And it it is unfortunate that that's where we are. It is. You know, it's, no, it, but it's it's it is a double standard and it drives me crazy because a lot of evangelicals think it is their job. They do it like they get paid bonuses to make sinners uncomfortable when it comes to certain sin certain things but when it comes to them confronting their um biases confronting white supremacy it's like human, make, human you know, depravity yo human bro depravity. Like, i mean we're all you know, well, i don't know who said this but it, i know who said this but it, it was said like this is the thing i i i, I i've said it to my church all the time it's the job of the of the pastor uh to to comfort um the afflicted and to afflict the comforted and okay. and and evangelicals see that in one way i think but for me it's like we are not being, honestly, as a pastor, I don't think I'm being faithful, especially if I'm, because I've, I've, I've been the token black pastor at a predominantly white, you know, whatever, well-off church. I'm not being faithful to why I believe one of the reasons God brought me there. If I'm not making folks uncomfortable when it comes to this, the issue of race. I mean, that is a part of, you can't grow. I mean, all of us, you can't grow unless there's, discomfort i mean there's a reason growing pains has happened like it you can't you can't become more and yeah. so we have so we have to we have to let loose yeah. this idea I, that we can't make people uncomfortable they have to become I, uncomfortable. I, I put it another way and we use this illustration and other things all the time <clears throat> but when i was more concerned about my livelihood and my paycheck and being liked and accepted then i wasn't loving my white brothers and sisters in Christ when I wouldn't tell them about those things. Okay. Like I, I know there's some who have unfriended me or don't like me going on about these things. Not all, but like it gets better. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be doing this if I didn't love them and they have no idea how much I go to bat for them 
yeah. with other black people who don't live in close proximity mm-hmm. to people who are deemed white because yeah. I have to help them understand it's not as simple as you think. It's more complicated. It would be yeah. easy to just say it's all ignorance and hate, but it's not that simple. Yeah. There's just yeah. a lot they don't know. And let's be honest. We were raised going to the same schools with the same history curriculum. We didn't know half this stuff. Yeah. I didn't yeah. know most of this stuff until like the last five years. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Um, a part, a part, a part ahead, of it, I feel like, is, uh, is, is a part of it is like, as we're talking about, like, for me, it's, it's a matter of not caring and getting caught up in what people think and who my who I offend is, am I being faithful and obedient to what God is calling me to do and what he's calling me to be, right? So it is divesting of this tokenization that has been thrusted upon you because you're an articulate black man or woman or you're approachable and all of these things. But, but at the end of the day, that's still to compromise one's identity is not worth me not speaking the truth anymore. And I'm just on that energy right now. And, and honestly, I'm getting to a place now. I am setting myself up now to where my livelihood is not going to rest in the church's hands. And if it, 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 if all possible, it's going to rest in my hand. And I'm going to set my boys up the same way because that's where you can really, that's an element of freedom that you, you can have. And, and that's what we as black people need to be working towards. Thus, organizations like Black Lives Matters that, that matter that, that is centering the black voice. That's creating opportunities and platforms for black people to express how they feel, to organize, to get involved and to do their thing. Same with it ends now in Charlotte. We're trying to mobilize this, uh, this movement so that people can have an equitable opportunity uh, to move up and do well in, in, in life. Let me ask you a question. So this actually can go to you and to Ray because y'all have made a similar statement and I think we need to define it. You know, I'm a, I'm a doctoral student. So defining terms is important, right? So when we say being faithful to, let's articulate what it is that we're being faithful to, because I know what I would consider I'm being faithful to, um, and I'll, I'll, I'll kind of articulate that. I'm being faithful to a non-Americanized version of the gospel. Um, I am taking away that, that centrality of our country and our nation and things of that nature that have co-opted our faith and created again, nationalism. You know, this, um, this other thing that is truthfully antithetical to the gospel. So I don't, I don't believe in a nationalized um, faith, a co-opted hijacked faith. So when I say, if I'm being faithful, I'm being faithful to the gospel, um, to the uh, faithful, to the call and faithful to the work that he's put my hands on the plow to work. Um, and a lot less faithful to this system that has been created um, that we are very comfortable and familiar with. So that's what I would say I'm being faithful to. And it does come with some discomfort personally. It does come from uh, with some discomfort of, of friends and peers and colleagues and folks that I'm around. And I believe there are some hard conversations that are in there. Um, so, so Sanchez, Ray, when you say you're being 
faithful is well what's after what comes after two what do you mean like what we're talking when we said faithful to the gospel or faith what when you're saying faithful to i don't understand what you're saying so y'all were talking like you 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 don't think you would be faithful you would be be faithful if you didn't tell your church um these no faithful for when in in that specific context i was saying faithful to the call faithful to my yeah my duty right uh so whatever it depends on what it was maybe i was talking about to the gospel as the gospel is not an Americanized uh, Westernized understanding of the gospel, or faithful to my call, faithful to my conscience. And that's the other thing that, I mean, like, this idea of being faithful to our con- conscience is, we overlook that. I mean, Paul reminds us of how important it is to not violate our conscience, right? Like, um, right, um, right. Martin Luther talked about that. Like, we can't, like, so it's, that's what I'm saying, like, a fidelity to that. But the gospel, not a westernized white supremacist understanding of the gospel, which I mean, in these, like for me, I've had, I've been in this experience for about 10 years of like this deconstructing from a evangelical faith and perspective. And that, and, and I realize how much my understanding of God first, and then my understanding of Christ, my understanding of the, the, the church and the mission of the church has is centered on white supremacy and a patriarchal view of God, right? So it's undo, it's unlearning so much of this stuff, and then actually learning not just from white theologians, not just right, from facts, people, facts. but but understanding that the gospel is so much bigger. Like reading from black theologians, from womanist theologians, from you know Latinx theologians, and getting a fuller understanding of God of the gospel, and allowing that to inform who we are, our faith, right? So if, if all we are seeing is, uh, is, is theology from, back from me, like, you know, through the lens of John Piper or through the lens of R.C. Sproul or whoever, I mean, that is a very limited under, understanding of God, a very li- and it's coming through the lens of a, a white dude, no, mostly. You know what I mean? Like, especially an evangelical understanding of faith. I don't know. Yeah, I agree. I, I probably, you know, faithful to the call, um, faithful to the identity that God has created me um, in, and that's first in his image and in his likeness. And I'm going to be faithful to that. And I don't have to have the answers and I'm going to be faithful to what he calls me to my wife, my children, my community, my friends, this message of, of, of justice, this message of liberation, this message of a revolutionary called Jesus. Like I'm going to be faithful to what he's calling me to. Right. So, so for me, it starts with the call and it starts with, it starts with, with, with the call and, and, and who I am called to and what I'm called to. So, um, but I agree with Ray. It is a part of this is unlearning. It is, it is extreme. It's unlearning so much stuff. Right. And again, I know for me, even like even outside of my I'm even trying to think of my upbringing, like college years, everything centered around white evangelicalism. Um, Even though I went to a multicultural Pentecostal church, it was still, you know, the pastor was white. Moved to Charlotte, definitely entrenched in white culture, white suburban culture. And, you know, R.C. Sproul is God's, you know, second child or second son. Right. So, so I, I just think we have to literally divest ourselves and and not eliminate, but really, really, um, uh, really, really evaluate where we are and why we believe and think the way we do. So I saw in the comment, like one thing I want to say, I did find the comments, but somebody said, give us an example of like some black theologians to listen to read. I mean, 
the, the if if you've if never touched black liberation theology or, or, or just the person you know you need to read is uh, James, James Cone. Cone. Uh, James and the book Cone. you need to get is a, a black theology. I looked it up. A black theology of liberation is like thirteen bucks on um, on uh, Amazon. It's on. You can get the e Kindle, but just start with with James Cone, right? Um, yeah. And and um, I've. I will. I will uh, give you a whole list. I'll, I'll find it and put it in the comments um, yeah. for James for is, women. Uh, for the, for folks who don't understand liberation theology, James Cone is a little, little thick. So yeah, the, I mean, the thing any other theologians are any true. theologian is thick. Like, are well, you, are you I, kidding me? Yeah, I, no, I, I'd no. say I'd say that the thing that for those who have been centered in whiteness that the thing that you're going to have to quickly get past or understand when you read black liberation, a, a black theology of liberation by James Cone is that black has a double meaning. We mentioned this two weeks ago mm-hmm. that it has both the meaning of those who are racialized and thrust into blackness not just in America, but across the globe, because white supremacy was a global project. But it is also anyone who has been put under the oppressive boot of empire. So this includes, in just here in America, this includes women, this includes Hispanic, this includes Asian, it includes indigenous Americans, all of those people are black and I mean we weren't going here, but I'm gonna go here anywhere. There's been a lot of discussion lately about whether or not Jesus was black and whether or not Jesus was is white. And there's been some movement to uh, get rid of a lot of the the imagery of Jesus that depicts Jesus as white because this was part of the tool of white supremacy and the church being complicit in the project of white supremacy. I'm gonna say this. Jesus was not black or white. Correct. Because the construct of race had not been created yet. When we think about race, the construct of race had not been created and would not be created for another 1400 years. So in that respect of racially, what we understand to be Race, races of Caucasian, uh, Mongoloid, uh, Aboriginal, and Negroid, those are biologically false. They are politically real, but they weren't political realities of first century Palestine. Right. So you're talking yeah, e- eugenics theory. All right. So right. It's, it's, exactly. So, I, I mean, I will, I definitely don't think that it, I, 1000, I wholeheartedly agree with everything you just said, said, um, and I, and I, the, the one thing I would say to underscore is, uh, even with all that being true, what we can say unequivocally is our depictions of Jesus in, especially in Western Christianity are categorically false. And, um, I don't believe that's such a big deal per se, Right. I don't I don't think yeah. it's such a big deal to in your different culture to have, you know, the, the depiction, the representation of like Jesus you. to look like. I don't think that's such a big deal. What I do think is a big deal is the same thing that happens, though. We can we can say that. But white folks get I mean, they own it. Like if 
they, they think it's literally blasphemous to sometimes to suggest that the depictions of, of blonde hair flowing blue eyed Jesus is not facts. And I believe, and some black folks do bro. Like, and I believe it's because again, not only is our gospel centered on, on whiteness, people do not take the time to critically interrogate what they've been taught. Do not take right. the time to read for themselves. So they believe what they've been told. And we have far too many people leading people and they've had no real training, right? Couldn't yeah. tell you what, you, you couldn't tell you what hermeneutics is. I mean, there's some people calling it, you know, you know, and, and, and I, don't, I don't say it to be elitist because it, it doesn't matter. But I think the thing that it does, like formal training in these things, what it does is that it, it gives you the reminder that stuff is so much bigger than your little view of it. And, it, yeah. and, if, and if you're learning this piece right now that you didn't know, what else don't you know? Right. Yeah, what else have you not been exposed to that you need to consider? But I Jesus was we found out yesterday Santa Claus isn't real. He's now, white, Ray, bro. He is now, now Ray. I want to. I want to hop hey, in on that. That's, that's, that's why when the school asked me if I wanted to be Santa Claus for their little Christmas thing at the school, I was like, "Don't do that to these kids. You bring <laughs> in a black Santa, it's gonna jack them all up." Hey, Ray, let's dig in on that right there just a little bit. There's one thing that you said. Want to unpack it? I, yeah, I want to unpack. Unpacking it is good for the people, right? So, like, I reject the idea that being smart is being elite. It's like, you know, so you and us all know what hermeneutics is. I don't think that's bad, but there is. Yeah, no. Um, uh, uh, there's no, I wasn't saying that. Thread. I'm saying. Oh, no, no, no. The, I, not, I, yeah. I, no, no, I'm yeah. I'm, I'm, I want to help the people because there is an entire movement afoot that is anti-intellectualism. And more specifically. Is it anti-intellectualism or is it black, anti-black intellectualism? Well, I think or is it a little bit of both? I think it's a little bit of both. And more okay. specifically, we you said something or we had talked about earlier that um, and I really wanted to harp in on that one, too, is that when we make a phrase or make a statement that these people have been uh, tokenized and there's almost a knee jerk response from a collective that says, uh, see, so if you don't, if somebody disagrees with you, then they're X. It's like, well, no, let's just look at it for what it is intellectually. And this is exactly what tokenizing is. So um, I've been a token. I have willingly been a token uh, for the sake of monetary and career gain. And I am not proud of that, but I'm very aware of the fact that I did that for a great majority of my career until about the age of 33. I was cool and almost uh, used as a pat on the back that I was one of the elite few Negroes in evangelical spaces. And once, you know, I mean, higher education is a beautiful thing. William Cross's Negrescence Theory, which I sent both of you guys a few months ago, um, I did not realize what I was doing to myself. And of course, that created some serious self-harm. That created some serious um, mental, uh, inst- I won't say instability. I mean, I'm a pretty stable dude, but it created um, this false image of myself in these spaces. Right. It also created some really false exceptionalism. Yeah. yeah. So, so I want to, I want to, I want to, I want to give an example. And the reason why I, I try to not fall prey to the elitist mentality, um, consider the, the, the series all American, right? right. Um, you know, Spencer James moves to Beverly Hills. He's the token. He's the man on campus. Right. But the reality is his brothers back home are just as talented as he is, 
but they just don't have the privilege and opportunity because of circumstances and situation uh, to be in the environment that, that, that he's in. And what I find is not saying anyone on this call is that many black people come into white spaces so that they can become elite and have a voice because they're intimidated by black intellectualism and black excellence back home that keeps them accountable and keeps them and puts them in their place. And so I do think, I do think we have to balance this with grace and know that at the end of the day, Jesus himself knew all things, but never, never presented himself as one that was above people. And I can go That's down good. the patriarchs. Moses never did that. And people want to be Moses. They want to come go to the mountains, hear from God and tell the people. But what they did, they, what people failed to see is that Moses ran himself uh, into the ground in Exodus 18, so much so that his father-in-law said that you need help, bro. You need account. He was also the most humble of them all. And he was the most humble. He didn't so, so, so he said, yeah, so so I think for me, that's why I am really, really careful with that, you know, because 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 I think edu number one, education is a gift. Higher education is a gift that I know that I have been privileged and fortunate to uh, to get only by the grace of God that that people that I know personally, they, they just can't. Um, because of legitimate reasons. And so um, I'm not necessarily against people using their intellect for good, but when it's, when it's, when it's to, um, to, 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 to be in this elite category for the that's, sake of like, it's just, that's that was my point. Yeah. That's my point. It's like, when I say like, I'm not saying people need to do the study on them on their own. And I'm not saying that to, to sound elitist. I'm not saying like, in order for you to have a comp, you know, to have a voice in this conversation, you have to have gone to right, this right, place. Right. That's not the point. And it doesn't have to be formal. I'm saying people who like, I think it's important for us to do that hard work on our own. Like to, to Cedric's point, you know, you're not going to learn certain stuff in school. You got to do that work on your own. Cedric learned all this historical stuff, like obscure historical stuff on his own. I'm sure like nobody like with, with know, a bachelor's degree, right? Like, like, right. Me, it's like, I <laughs> I keep That's Cedric it. in my corner because number one, Cedric, again, you can get these degrees, but that doesn't mean you're an intellectual, right? right? That, that, that doesn't mean that you, you know what I'm saying? So, so for me, Cedric is one of my most intellectual friends and, and, and technically I will have a higher pedigree because of a piece of paper, but Cedric, I put Cedric, ab not above me, but I, I esteem Cedric just as much as I esteem myself. I see so, him higher when it comes. I have like historical. I'm like, yeah, I, 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 didn't, I, didn't, I didn't know how people felt about that, you know, because when it comes to history, man, I'm, I'm <laughs> I appreciate just, it, but I'm like, bro, right. that's so obscure. Like, he just comes right. out. I'm like, how do you know this? <laughs> but for Same me, same way, I can tell you that Alan Trammell hit 343 in 1987 with 28 home runs and 105 RBIs. He's got to get the memory, man. <laughs> he's got to get <laughs> so. So, anyways, it's that, now that, finally that, being put to good use. Yeah, so that's that's just my perspective on it. Um, and again, I don't I don't say it to, to put ourselves down, but I I do say it to to just from as a as a humble reminder for myself as a mm. thirty one year old that that um, to to put it to put it more explicitly, I am a thirty one year old who did not finish college because I ran out of money and nobody would co sign on a loan, but I had enough credits to get into a master's program, graduated with my master's with a three point eight, and now I am a a doctoral student and doing really, really well. Like that doesn't happen, but I don't need to like flaunt that around and say, yo, I was better than bachelor, uh, undergrad. I didn't even need to go to undergrad. You, you, you see what I'm saying? Like I, 
just keep it real. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, use your intellect to teach and draw people in, not to push them away. And I, I think a lot of people that. are, I think a lot of people are pushing people away. Couple okay. with your compassion and recognizing that, you know, a lot of degrees I'm going to teach you how to speak to people in a way that honors their dignity, even when you disagree with yeah. them. Yeah. And that's what school is not great at. School is, keeps out the, the human factor, the human emotion factor. And like more specifically, I think that's where a lot of our conversation, like not us, but conversations today in the world uh, are missing. It's like we are in this season of where we're all, you know, in different rooms and different houses and different yeah. parts of the city. And if you, if you extrapolate that even farther, the majority of the people that are communicating today are doing all so digitally. And so there's that human element that is completely missing, completely devoid. And how we treat one another is uh, is interesting. So, right. yeah. but yeah, I mean, to your point, I'm going to assume that a lot of the traction that I'm getting with some of the people that I'm having is because of the relationships I have with them. Mm-hmm. But and by extension, the people that I don't know as well, I'm I'm having, I'm I'm getting traction because they see how I deal with the people who disagree with me well, and the people kinda, who resist me. That's kind of another point to being black in an evangelical space. So, like on your thread the other day when you were talking, um, let's say white evangelical space because there's plenty of black evangelicals. Truth. Yeah. So you, you were very gracious in this historical response that you um, that you posted. I want to say it was on Saturday, possibly Friday, and mm-hmm. somebody asked a question, and you very patiently gave a Facebook post that, that was this deep of explanation and history and explanation in history. And I know through this season, which is again, one of the purposes of this call tonight, we find ourselves explaining things that may be second, now a uh, second place for us. If it was the one about the Philando Castile, what happened to him? Yes. Yeah. And, and to your point, I didn't have to Google a single bit of that. Correct. I, I knew it. I remembered all of it. But I think the and way there's that many of us it, that remember all of it. Yeah. The way that you approached it was extremely gracious. Um, Cause I've seen some other people um, names redacted to protect the guilty where they would, uh, they have berated uh, somebody that did not look like us, who was not as knowledgeable on something that had tremendous impact on our, on our current you know, state. Okay. So yeah. here, I, I think the thing I've, I'll say to that, because I hear, I, I don't disagree, Corey, um, but I do think, like, for me, like, I, I, like, if people ask me a question about something, I'm not going to dog people, right? It's, it's the energy with which they approach, right? If you come at me yeah. like you are entitled to, I mm-hmm. owe it to you, we're not, I'm going to match your energy on some things. Um, but I also believe that sometimes, especially in, uh, in, in our spaces, um, and, and I'll grant you, I'm, I'm outside of evangelical world now, but, um, we use terms like divisive and, um, you know, like we, we can, we can use those terms and it shuts down conversation. And sometimes people will say you're being divisive or you weren't gracious because you made them uncomfortable or because you said something <laughs> with which they disagreed or you didn't 
center them. And I don't believe we do people favors when all it, when we treat them like we treat our kids when they're younger. Like my my youngest kid is 12, soon to be 13. He doesn't get the same energy he got when he was five. Like he's not I'm not going to like sometimes folks need to just realize that it isn't all about you all the time. I mean, if that's one of the greatest lessons I, I think I have to do teach my kids as a dad is like I'm teaching, I said, I said to my you know, older kids, like, it's not about like, I'm my, my world doesn't revolve around you. It doesn't revolve around centering you. And that's what the white, a lot of white folks in evangelical spaces want. They want you to center them. They want you to, they want progress to go at the, 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 at the pace of their comfort at the pace of their uh, being able to adjust. And sometimes they need to know that, no, this isn't okay. I will explain it to you. Maybe. Google works. You, I'm, I, you, you don't, I don't owe you anything, right? You're not entitled to my time. You're not entitled to my space. I'm happy to extend that. What is with the popcorn? Bruh, I um, was about to say the same uh, thing. Like, bro, I, ain't, I, mean, I ain't had dinner, man. I was like, anyway, Ray so, was giving this nice soliloquy. I'm like, I'm like, I'm tracking. Then I see this buttery popcorn. Right. That's oh, me. Good. You see a fat boy. He sees some popcorn butter, bro. <laughs> yeah. So cold. The rap. I don't know what I was talking about now. White evangelical spaces. Yeah, I don't know. I just don't. I just don't want us to. I just don't want us to to have some. I mean, sometimes we can present like you got to be gracious or you don't want to be divisive, and that doesn't allow white folks to grow because they got to know that there will be times when they are uncomfortable, where they are not centered, where everybody isn't going to focus on them. Are you okay? Well, you know, you know, some people. No, bro, like. No, you're wrong. Like you want to find this out, Charles, you need to Google it yourself. I don't owe you. Do you think that we are conditioned? And I say we as uh, people in black and brown skin in these white evangelical spaces. Do you think that we are conditioned to respond in such a way that does not turn off our brothers and sisters? Yes, for sure. Okay. So, because I, I believe that too, I believe that conditioning. Um, I don't believe that it was intentional, but I believe that it's something that we end up doing because, like, you don't think we were conditioned intentionally? Oh, like intentionally. I think it's almost like a byproduct of assimilation and acculturation. No, sure, that's totally it. That's that's it. That's what I was going to say. Like, that's I think it happens because we've learned to assimilate. You've learned to code switch. You don't want it. You want to walk on eggshells. You know, it's like being in an uh, abusive relationship. Yeah, you want to say I, the wrong I, thing. Yeah. Right. And then I, I, it's like going through this whole process of looking back over the last couple of years um, and looking at some of my own personal experiences and experiences that I've told the story multiple times. And I've just now gotten to the point in the last year and a half where now I actually tell those stories with me at the center and not the, the people deemed white that I was with at the time, that now I'm actually in the first, for the first time, actually having an emotional response that I've buried unwittingly for years. Yeah. Because I was assimilated so hard into those white evangelical spaces that even when I was being racially traumatized and erased in the midst of trauma, I centered them, not myself, to the point that even when we would recollect about that one time we went to that racist barbecue joint as a staff, 
we stayed. Right, right. Because you, you're codifying their white fragility, right? Well, and you're protecting- Because I've been trained to put their comfort first. That's it. And not want to be that black guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Angry black guy. Exactly. Or, or the black guy that has to mess it up for everybody else when everybody else is hungry. Right. So we go eat in Maurice's. So when I mentioned that sometimes we go through self-harm or better yet, we um, we can face harm in these spaces. People look at me like I'm crazy. Like, what do you mean harm? It's like, well, harm doesn't always have to be physical. Harm can also be security of employment. Harm can also be uh, favor with our employer and with our colleagues. And of course, when you're one of the only ones, if not the only, um, being different is not always a blessing. Being different uh, sometimes does bring some serious harm. Um, and being the, the outspoken contrarian voice to like you, like you mentioned, uh, I remember a situation like that about 11 years ago where we also went to probably that same racist barbecue spot in Albemarle, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was a horrible experience, but again, I was the only one. So I, yeah. I did not, um, voice too much of an opinion because the question or well, the statements that we hear on the other side of of those are get over it or it's not that big a deal or why you quote being so sensitive. Um, and so actually I, I did hear that. Um, but nonetheless, those things are harming because it makes me feel as though I can't voice my concern. I can't, like you said, I can't center myself in a situation and expose my own um, vulnerability to you yeah. says you but love me and are here for me. I go a step further, sorry, for, for, for my personal examples. I had been so plugged into the matrix, I didn't even realize that I was centering them and not myself telling these stories. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, just think about how much that has like, impacted your identity, not only in Christ, but as a Christian who's deemed, you know, who's black, who, who's created in his image, like, like that's how that stuff plays out. Like you, 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 you deny yourself, you kill yourself for the cause, for the greater good of the gospel. But at the end of the day, capitalism and evangelicalism, white evangelicalism has a reputation of always being at the expense of the margin or the marginalized and people. Yeah, I, think, well, I, I think, I think, Evangelicalism writ large uh, puts the marginalized at the fair, fair. They it leaves them at the margin, but you know what? Fair. Yeah, I think we can all we all have had experiences like yeah. that. I know I've. It, yeah. it perpetuates the problem. It also wants to serve. Explain and that. A bit. Oftentimes, so, it doesn't realize that it does. Okay, so how many evangelical spaces are absolutely committed to helping out the local? Um, the local low-income, under-resourced, underfunded school. Provide them with tutors, provide them with mentoring, coats for kids, and Operation Christmas Child. I mean, they go hard. But then when it comes time to vote on policies that affect the school system and specifically how money is distributed to the schools, 
they do the they vote in such a way that perpetuates the very problem that they are trying to solve. Yeah. So Not only got, perpetuates it, it, sorry, it makes it, it worse. Yeah, it makes yeah, it worse. Yeah. So we got two questions. And, and again, we're, we're kind of hitting our peak where, where people are about to drop off. So for uh, question number one, so at what point do we recognize discomfort as harm? Question number two, can we form communities for our own health or must we subscribe to communities we are perpetual guests in? Ooh, hey, look, I've been thinking about that second one a lot. So I'm, and, I'll um, answer the second one. Okay, no, you go yeah. first because we've been talking the most. No, yeah, exactly. yeah form, your, form your community because, for instance, I'm in a um, – <laughs> this sounds bad, like a, a – uh, a, a care group uh, across uh, with some black leaders across America that are in the political realm. Um, and it's all black leaders that are in white spaces. And it's a, it's a care group. I think that's extremely healthy. Nothing I sounds believe, bad about that, bro. That sounds beautiful. Not at all. I'm jealous. Think, what are you talking about? <laughs> and, and, I, but, and I think there are times where those groups are needed and you have to know your limits and again, as as one that has been tokenized and grew up a, pe- a preacher's kid and, you, you know, suffer the cause, you know, and, and just die to self, die to self, die to self. No, like Christ hadn't like Christ is, is resurrected within me. And I, I don't have to die to myself to everything. Right. I don't have to sit here and kill myself and, and just always be the only one in the group and listen to all of the various comments and and have feeling like I have to educate people. Personally, right now, I'm in a season that I'm, I'm done with one-on-one white, for, one, uh, white fragility. I'm not here to fundamentally and foundationally educate people anymore. And I have to do what's, Especially what's not best. Especially not for free. Not for free, right, right. So I have to do what's best for my mental health, my, my family's health, and my physical health. And, and for me, sometimes that's forming your own communities. And to your point, David Park, uh, sometimes this is figuring out how to form your own economic ways of benefiting. So right now I'm trying to empower black people to get into real estate because that's one way we can help with gentrification and slowing it down. At least we can own the homes and we can help people out. So, so anyways, there are other ideas that I have. Black people gentrify too. Don't get me. I, I'm that. not I, listen. I said we form our own. We check the motives. We have a vetting. Man, you're not wrong with that. No, no I'm right. with you, but oh, I know. I'm not saying we won't. I'm just saying I, I'm working with people and we're trying to get creative with uh real estate investment so um so yeah i I think you have to you have to do what's best for you and your family what was the first question yeah i was about to ask Uh, so at what point do we recognize discomfort as harm when it becomes harm (laughs) (laughs) no seriously think about that yeah yeah um, yeah yeah, yeah. you know i mean there's a point before you break your leg where it's a little discomforting um but there's been no real harm uh, I think it, the, it harm is harm, discomfort is discomfort, right? Um, they're not the same. And, yeah, they're not the same. Words will rarely actually harm you. They will make you discomfort in this context, right? So um, I don't believe I, I, what I think we need to do. This is a thing. So when you like a lot of the work I've been trying to do is to really get white folks to get comfortable with this idea that they're not the center of 
at all. They're not the center of the mm-hmm. gospel. They're not the center of the universe. And if you can get people to do that, because if you can get like if we can get our kids to realize they're not the center of even our worlds or or the world at, at large, it helps you accept things that push push back against what you think you know about yourself, right? So if we right. can get white folks to not think that everybody b- deserves them something, that, that everybody should try to make them comfortable, that we should structure our our slogans to uh, in a way that won't make them uncomfortable. So we can't say defund the police because they don't like that or, you know, whatever. We're not just black, white folks, some black folks on either. I, I get it. But it's like, yo, you're not the center of everything. So yeah. discomfort is not the same thing as harm. Um, I do believe yeah. works. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. That's all I'll say. I, yeah, I mean, and, and just That's to kind of build off of what you're saying is that, look, let's be honest, Robin DiAngelo calls discomfort what it is. It's called fragility. Now, I know we have this reflexive reaction to that word. Let me explain it deeper. What she is basically arguing is that because we live in a white dominant culture, the vast majority of white people have a very low bandwidth or capacity for conversations concerning race. So they get uncomfortable a lot quicker with the conversation than people who are thrust into it and have to deal with it on a daily basis. They don't necessarily have the verbiage, the lexicon or the lived experience and therefore their bandwidth for it is a lot lower. This is not unlike what the experience is for a lot of men when we are talking about patriarchy and sexism because we are centered. Whereas women can talk about it all day because they have to live it. It's not an issue of discomfort. It's it's an issue of bandwidth and capacity. That's good. Whereas Harm. I mean, you want to talk about harm? <laughs> you want to you want to talk about harm, bruh? I got stories. I got I got stories. So and here's this is, here's. Go ahead, Sage. I'm sorry. I was just gonna say, try figuring out what harm is when you're centered to ignore your the harm that's being done to you, so that you then don't incur more like explicit harm. Yeah. And I think this is why community is important. Like you got to have people around you that are going to like be able to see that for you if you can't see it for yourself. Um, and, I, and I know that's a new phase for me in this life um, is I have a care team of, 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 of people that, that I literally check in with almost every day, every week. I've got a community that they, they check on my mental health. They, they check me if they feel like I'm not being authentic and true about my day or how I feel like you have to put these things in place yep. because the w- things are going to harm you. Right. And, 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 and so you have to, you have to be responsible and proactive in that regard. So, but don't you think that some of that solace that we find in community is outside of the spaces that we find ourselves and that kind of creates even more of this whole self-preservation that we have. So we, we isolate and insulate ourselves away from the people that may be causing us harm in the places that are all supposed to be a place where we have community. And so, so here's like, the, I'm sorry to interrupt. I, th- yeah, absolutely. This is why I don't center my community primarily in the local church that I'm at. 
That's right. Because of that very reason, you leave that local church, you're excommunicated from the family. Yep. And there's no coming back. So that's why personally, I, I'm grateful and, and, and we can call it privilege or black blessing, whatever you want to call it. But my community is not centered. Y'all aren't at my church. And right. y'all are my brothers. I talked to Ray yesterday. I talked to you. You see, talk to me today, bro. What's up? Yeah. (laughs) So it doesn't even you can't center it in one place. Yeah. Because because yeah yeah go ahead. And 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 this is coming full circle. And I think this is the harm in that sacred secular kind of dichotomy. Um, Mm -hmm. I think the harm is because sometimes we believe that only community community doesn't just happen in our faith communities. Um, I've got some of my closest friends certainly have shared my faith community, especially for us who are past, right? For instance, I just made a transition from uh, being a local pastoring at a local church. And if all of my relationships were there and I'm no longer there because like, it's the way we do it. And it was my choice. And we're at a different season in ministry. If, if my only relationships, if community only meant that local church, I would be on an Island devastated. Right. Um, That's why I believe that faith, like the, 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 you know, the secular and the sacred, I think they happen where we, where we go, where we go, Christ goes, where we go, the light goes every, every, when I was pastoring, one thing I would say to my congregation at the benediction is go um, and light up the darkness that reminding ourselves that when we enter a space, Light enters with us because Christ is with us. Holy Spirit is with us. When we go into dark spaces, it is illuminated. And so the sacred is with us. Christ is with us. My understanding of God is that Holy Spirit is with us. Christ, God goes with us wherever we go. So there is no no understanding that something ceases to be sacred if we're going there and Christ is with us. That's my... We we make it sacred. And and, and to, to your point... Um, July 9th, uh, mark not only the 380 year anniversary of the John Punch decision, uh, but it also marks the day that, uh, me and my family lost our, um, our, our Christ center community due to my being employed at a specific place. And I have not had a church home for three years. And yet I still have Christ center community. But I also have community with my friends who are not people that subscribe to the Christian faith. And I have community in, in, in both those both those spaces. Because, I mean, again, the, the mentality that you just described, Ray, is the mentality that I bring that, that Christ is in me, but also Christ is in them. And it's being revealed more in, in some than others. Mm-hmm. And some it's being revealed, even though they don't even want it to be revealed or would call it that because they're, and this is the great mystery. I think, I I know there's people that would disagree with me, but if I see fruit, fruit of spirit in people's life, like I can't deny that when people are exhibiting those attributes and I'm drawn to be around those people and I'm not about to say, well, you know, you're not my small group. And I mean, I know that's not what you're saying, but I'm just speaking generally. Um, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to make space and room to be in community and live, live life with those people. But I also can do it in a way that they they know exactly who I am, what I'm about and that I am very much a Christ in person. I'm not going to 
I'm not going to deny that. But the thing that I think it works is because I don't weaponize Christ upon them. Uh-huh. So, so two things, two people that, that Christians, black and white, they hinge their theology and faith on white people tend to do it on Paul. Black people tend to do it with Moses. Moses was 80 years old before he got his calling from the Lord. 80 years old. And Paul, Pharisee of the Pharisees, it wasn't until he had his counter encounter with Jesus. So my point is that, that you never know who that person is that God is going to use, right? So I, I don't feel like I should eliminate my neighbors from being a part of my community, even though they're not walking with Christ now, because you never know uh, when that light can switch, when that encounter could happen. And as I am taking the spirit, the spirit is living inside of me. As I walk and live out my faith and live out my yeah. life, man, that's what's going to, God is going to draw all men unto himself, not me. <laughs> it's his job right. to convert. My, my, my job is like Brace said, to, to be a salt and light. Yeah. And if salt, hey. how can salt, how can salt be salt if it's around salt all day? Yeah. And, and I, I got to say, I got to say this too, um, because not only, and, and give her a shout out in this. And, and, and my wife reminds me of this, like for our ability as Americans to be like, well, I want a Christ centered community and do this secular sacred divide. Like that is a privilege we have. Cause my wife is from Scotland and I can remember having her having a conversation with a friend of ours years ago who was talking about their wedding. It was like, Oh, how's the wedding plan going? She said, Oh, it's fantastic. So great. I couldn't be happier. Everybody involved with my wedding is a Christian, the florists, the, the, the this, the caterer, the, that is a Christian. And Emma was sitting there thinking like our marriage in Scotland, if we tried to do it with nothing but Christian vendors, we wouldn't have had a wedding. We just, we don't have that option. And yeah. my wife, her best friends of 20 years, none of them are, none of them were people that would describe themselves as being Christians or churchgoers. And ironically, it wasn't until after she left and started living here that one of them actually started going to church and now would call themselves a Christian. But two things happened in my wife's absence, three. One, she maintained the relationships despite the great distance in the time zone. But two, her parents continued to love her friends well, yeah. despite the fact that they weren't part of their Christ-centered community because that was their daughter's friends and they knew how much she loved them and had grown and learned to love them as well, even though they weren't Christian per se, and you know, we're doing the things that quote unchristian people sometimes do that you know weren't raised to necessarily um, approve of. But I mean, all that to say, like, depending on where you are, just even the ability to just be like, oh, I'm just going to surround myself with other Christians, that's that's darn near impossible in most parts of the world. Yeah, I mean, Jesus, Jesus didn't do that, so. No, I don't, I don't think that would necessarily define. I think my question uh, about the harm of mm -hmm. some of the places we find ourselves and the absence of community that we find ourselves in there. So because I know most of us find solace outside of our fellowships, outside of our places where we find employment, X, Y and Z, because sometimes the harm that we 
that we face are found in those spaces. So that's that's more my my question, mm-hmm. like almost irrespective of the secular or the sacred. It's, it's like in most in most actually in, in three of our cases for certain, uh, the sacred has been the source of harm. So that's you know. So I know, like similar to Cedric, I found solace in a community outside of the ecclesia as well. So, yeah. That's good. Yeah, I'm, I'm right. in a unique position now because, like, I'm at a place that doesn't do the harm because the, the, the place I work is now actually built around, like, a, a justice issue, a very specific yeah. justice issue. So, yeah. yeah. Go ahead, Sandrius. It's almost 10 o'clock. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, if anybody's got any other questions, I'll type them in, but let's, uh, I mean, let's do last words or, or whatever. Any, any concluding thoughts or, or anything? Um, anything pressing in the comments? Cause I, I don't have the comments up. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking, I don't see any right now. Uh, here's I, my, I here's say, my parting thought. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. <laughs> Sorry. I was, I, was... Say, I was just going to say, be mindful of gaslighters. <laughs> just make sure you're vetting out these, these, these token um, black people that are speaking on behalf of, of the righteous Negro. Um, because there's more to the story and we have to be careful with that. So, yeah. And I think for me, it's, it's be like to remember that it's okay for us to one, not have all the answers us being black folks. Um, and it's okay for white folks not to have all the answers and you don't have to be the source of those answers. You don't, I mean, you know, you don't have to show up to every argument you're invited to, especially when this is just a, for some white folks, this is really just an academic discussion, right? Where it's like, oh, well, I'm just playing devil's advocate, but it's just like, that's fine, bro. That's cool. But this <laughs> is my life, yo. Like this is, and so I'm not going to, you don't need to traumatize yourself for an academic conversation. So you're not obligated and you're not being divisive. You're not being a bad Christian if you don't force yourself into these conversations. Yeah, I'm gonna mute myself because I'm eating popcorn, and Kelly told me she could hear me. You get popcorn. (laughs) Kelly Bryant, pass the popcorn. Pass the what? Like everybody got popcorn, bro. I should uh, y'all didn't send a brother that memo. I mean, my wife brought it to (laughs) me, so you gotta do better. (laughs) Man, I think my my parting words would be similar. Um, There's. you know, I, I don't think the conversations that we are in this season are going to go anywhere. Um, I, and by go anywhere, I mean, in terms, of, uh, I don't think that this is the last time that we're going to be having these conversations. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of an unfortunate, fortunate. Um, and so what what I as a person in, in brown skin experience in the spaces that uh, employ me or that I find myself in worship or X, Y, or Z. um, I think there's value to be gained from people like us. And I think that's, I think it's valuable uh, in the seasons where we're not talking about unrest. I think it's valuable um, in seasons when we're not having to educate uh, about systems and histories and all the dark stuff that we uh, get tapped to recount and to relive. I think there's value in having a dialogue um, more than just in February, in February during Black History Month. I think there's value in uh, having us present uh, and not just using us as tokens. I think that's something that 
um, that admonition that I mentioned earlier uh, to our white evangelical pastors and brothers that um, pastor these spaces. I think there's something that is missed um, if that is the only time that we're brought out to speak and to give voice. Uh, so the, uh, the token voice and the black sheep voice, the black Christian collective, I think there's something that needs to be um, harnessed and utilized in a much better way. And so, um, you know, I'm, I'm thankful for the time to be brought to the table now, but let's keep that same energy to quote Ray uh, in October. Uh, let's keep that same energy around Christmas time. Cause I love Christmas. I could give you a, a wonderful story about the light. And uh, you know, I think, I think that's important. Yeah, that's so good. Sid. I got to pee. <laughs> it's the popcorn. Listen, man, it did to you. Listen, Look, y'all don't, y'all don't beer. think you no money. <laughs> and you know, beverage might have had something to do with it. I got jokes. What yeah. can I say? Um, but I it's true. A, I do. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't have a ton. I. I. I said a lot just now. Just then, I would just say, look, keep diving in. Keep diving in. Um, you know, try not to tucker out. Find people that can support you on your journey who are going to like. <sighs> Find that delicate balance between being an unapologetic truth teller and compassionate. Yeah. And, and sometimes when we're telling that truth, right, it might feel like what we said earlier, discomfort. But be able to discern the difference between you being uncomfortable with having some ignorance exposed and someone actually doing you harm. Like, look, I'll, I'll, I'll end on this. Y'all get over that. You don't know all this stuff yet. Like I said earlier, we were educated in the same <laughs> system. We didn't learn this stuff in high school. We only scratched the surface. I'll speak for myself. Only scratched the surface in college. I had to go find these books to learn about this. I'm going to post my current reading list. I'm going to just take a picture of all the books I'm reading right now. But like, mm -hmm. seriously. Go ahead and flex, Cedric. Go ahead and flex. Look, I'm I not going to flex because I'm notorious for reading a whole bunch of books and finishing none of them. <laughs> <laughs> okay? We just keep it real. Yeah. But, you know, I, I'll, I'll post it as just saying like, look, I'm still in process. I am not the learned. I am a learner. I've just been yeah. learning a little bit longer. That's all. And there's yeah. people who've been learning longer than me. And that's why I don't carry my knowledge around, or at least I try not to, like a sword to <laughs> carve people up that I, that I find offensive or Facts. dumb or that's smart. ignorant. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. And lastly, support. Uh, Patreon page, Token Confessions. Corey's on all media outlets. Do you have a Patreon set up? I yet? do. The Black Sheep Dialogues. Find me. So we will put the link. I've got a podcast you. coming soon. Come Ooh. on, Ray. Come on. Right. I'm going to get up a show. Come on, brethren. <laughs> oh, oh, wait a minute. Don't forget to shout out the new page. Oh, word. Yeah, I actually changed the name today. So we have a, a new social media account. Uh, it's called Black 
underscore in underscore white underscore spaces. So black and white spaces. And so what we're trying to do is actually get stories and quotes Yo, from cool. people of color who have been in white spaces and some of the things that have been told. And the reason why I think we're doing this is we need to be in control of the narrative that is told when our kids are older. Okay. We need to be in control. We don't need our narratives whitewashed by anybody or anything. So right. this is an opportunity for people to yeah. see and value the experience that we live with every day. So right. black underscore in underscore white yeah. underscore spaces. Shout out to all the private school kids of Charlotte, Charlotte Christian, Charlotte Black Country Bro. Day, Charlotte Latin who blew up Instagram last week with their that, page. That should be a, a, a follow-up conversation next week because um, we might have to see watching. if we can get some of the ones that were behind it on the pod. I know, I know one of them. I know another one personally, who's actually one of my former youth group students who went to Charlotte Christian, who is also active in like calling, um, calling her alma mater up. And she's racialized white, but you know what? She gets it. So like, yeah. well, to yeah. expound on the idea of harm, the fact that those people had to speak in anonymity um, because of the amount of retaliation and mm. retribution that could come if they were outed um, is, is severe. Um, I know yep. some of the current students, cause I've read all the pages. Some of the current students who graduate in 2023, um, they are under the cover of anonymity and, if they were known to have felt this way, there would be some serious harm come their direction, not physically, but um, being welcomed at the school. Um, Emotionally. Scholarship. Oh, my mm -hmm. gosh. Uh, yeah. Not being welcomed any longer or finding some uh, mysterious reason as to why you can no longer attend. Um, yeah. Too bad yeah. we've seen all those things. Yeah. Oh.